chapters eleven and twelve of rose mather a tale by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain eleven the wounded soldier how those polished cruel-looking instruments sparkled and glittered and flashed and how the sick man shuddered as he glanced toward the table where they lay asking with quivering lip if there were no other alternative save the one their presence suggested none but speedy death was the response of the attending surgeon who was too much accustomed to just such scenes as this to appreciate the feelings of that poor soldier shrinking so painfully from what they told him must be if he would live none but speedy death george repeated the words slowly to himself dwelling longest upon the last as if to accustom himself to thoughts of it wait a little wait till i think the matter over he said in reply to the question are you ready and turning his face to the wall so that those about him should not see the fearful conflict going on he thought long and earnestly wasn't it better to die than go back to annie maimed and disfigured for life better die than lose a portion of the manly beauty of which he had been so proud would annie love him just the same even though the strong right arm which had toiled for her so cheerfully could never work for her again never encircle her in its embrace would the scarred stump be as dear to her as the well-moulded limb had been he did not know and the tears which all through the weary days of his sickness had been kept back now fell like rain upon the pillow as he fancied the meeting between his sweet young wife and her poor crippled husband the cottage on the hill so earnestly coveted would never be theirs now he could not earn it he could not earn much anyway with his left arm and he groaned aloud as he thought of the poor unfortunate seen so often in the rochester depot peddling daily papers would he ever come to that he who but a few months ago had so bright hopes for the future would the delicate annie he had meant to shield so carefully from every ill of life yet be compelled to earn the bread she ate it was a sad sad picture the excited soldier drew of what the future might bring and the fainting spirit had almost cried out i would rather die when there came stealing across his mind the memory of annie's parting words if the body you bring back has in it my george's heart i shall love you all the same yes she would love him just the same for as it was not her fair sweet face alone which made her so dear to him so it was not his splendid form which made him dear to her annie's love would not abate even though he went back to her the veriest cripple that ever crawled the earth but how different his going home would be from what he had fondly hoped no papers heralding his arrival no dense crowd out to meet him no fife trilling a jubilee no drum beating a welcome no bell ringing its merry peal no carriage no procession nothing but the curious gaze of the few who might come out to see how george graham looked without an arm and whisper softly to each other poor fellow how i pity him he didn't want to be pitied he would almost rather die and he did not want to die either when he thought calmly of it he was not prepared and forcing back the bitter tears he turned his white worn face to william mather bending so sadly over him and whispered tell them they may cut it off but not till you've written to annie and i have signed my name you know how she has begged for a word from me tell them to keep away they shall not intrude on my interview with annie george was growing excited but he became calm again when he found himself alone with mr mather who wrote the letter which gave annie so much joy there was nothing in it of the expected amputation 
nothing but encouragement that he should ere long come home to stay with her always there give me the pen he said when the letter was finished and the trembling fingers grasped it eagerly but quickly let it fall as the purple festered flesh above the elbow throbbed and quivered with the pain the sudden effort caused once more i'll do it if it costs my life he whispered nerving himself with might and main and then with mr mather guiding his hand he wrote his name and the words god bless you darling annie it's done and she must never know the agony it cost me he moaned as his bandaged arm fell heavily at his side while with his other hand he wiped away the sweat which stood so thickly upon his face bring annie's bible he said and lay it on my pillow it will make me bear it better oh annie annie if you could be here to pray for me can't you and the dim eyes turned imploringly toward mr mather who shook his head hesitatingly man of the world as he had been he had not yet learned to pray but he could not resist that touching appeal and bending down he answered i never learned to pray but while the operation is going on i'll do the best i can shall i call them now george nodded and william admitted the two surgeons who were growing somewhat impatient at the delay they were not naturally hard-hearted men but years of practice had brought them to look on amputations in a mere business point of view still there was something about this case which touched a chord of sympathy and they spoke kindly to the sufferer telling him it would soon be over and was not half so bad as losing a leg would be george made no reply except to shudder nervously as he saw the cold polished steel so soon to cut into his flesh you'll need bandages he said his mind flashing backward to the day when he had looked in at rockland hall where annie with others sat working for just such a scene as this it's here mr mather answered pointing to a table where lay a ball prepared for company r without knowing why he did so mr mather took it up and began mechanically to unroll it pausing suddenly as traces of a pencil met his view there was something written there something which made him start as he read annie howard it's your annie george try to think i'm there rockland april eighteen sixty one was it a happen so or a special providence that this bit of linen over which annie's prayers had been breathed should come at last to him for whom it was intended mr mather believed the latter and pointed it out to george who comprehending the truth at a glance uttered a wild glad cry of joy as he pressed it to his lips yes annie i know you are here i can feel your presence and it will help to ease the pain begin without delay don't wait if it must be done there was a moment's silence a shutting of both william's and george's eyes and a shriek of anguish rang through the room as george cried out oh annie annie stand up closer to me it makes me faint it hurts me so bad pray mr mather pray and mr mather did pray the first prayer which had passed his lips since his early boyhood not aloud but silently and the writhing victim grew still at last only shivering once as the sharp saw glided through the splintered bone carefully they bound up the bleeding stump with the soft linen annie had sent speaking comforting words to the sufferer who seemed to be stupefied for he did not notice what they said it was done at last and after a few directions the operators hurried off to do for others what they had done for george poor george how long and weary were the days and nights immediately succeeding the amputation and how horrible the sensation which prompted him to fancy the severed limb was there to feel the hot blood tingling through his finger-tips 
throbbing through his wrists streaming into his elbow joints and then to know twas all a mere delusion for the right arm once so full of vigour was not now save a putrefying mass buried away beneath the sod he would not have annie know it yet he said he would rather spare her as long as possible and so the news was withheld from her while day after day george waited and watched for the favourable change which should make it safe for him to undertake the tedious journey three times was the travelling bag packed with the hope of going to-morrow and as often did the doctor's stern mandate bid him wait a little longer at last the terribly nervous sensation passed away taking with it all the pain and leaving no feeling save one of intense uneasiness and languor which the once strong man strove in vain to shake off trying day after day to sit up if only for a moment and as often falling back upon his pillows from sheer exhaustion he was only tired he had never been rested since the battle he said and if he could once go home to annie and lie upon the lounge where he last saw her kneeling he should get well so fast often in his troubled sleep he talked of her begging her not to spurn her poor crippled husband but to love him just the same i never can work for you as i used to do he would say never can buy that cottage on the hill but god won't let us starve and i shall love you so much so much when i find you do not shrink away from poor mutilated george it was a sad but not unprofitable lesson which william mather was learning by that bedside at home in rockland where their positions were so different he had always respected george graham but he had learned to love him now with a brother's love and gladly would he have saved him for the sweet wife in whom with his own darling rose was so deeply interested and whose letters were silently working good in him as well as george greatly his personal friends marvelled that he should stay so closely immured within that sick room when he might had he chosen have mingled much in the world without and many were the attempts they made to drag him away but he withstood them all and clung the closer to his friend who leaned upon him with all the trustful confidence of a little child hour after hour he sat by his patient reading to him from annie's well-worn bible and when at last the heavy cloud was lifted and the pathway through the valley of death was divested of its gloom he was the first to whom the sick man imparted the joyful news that whether he lived or died all was well all was peace within in silence and in tears mr mather listened to the story of what was so strange to him and in the next letter sent to rose he told her of the new resolves awakened within him tracing them back to that humble cottage in the hollow where annie graham unknown save to a few was wielding a mighty power for good everything which he could do for george he did and annie herself could scarcely have been more gentle or kind and george oh how grateful he was to his noble friend blessing him so often for the kindly deeds god will surely let you go home unharmed he said one day when mr mather had been more than unusually attentive i pray to heaven every hour that you may never know the dreary heart-pang it costs one to die away from home and all that we hold dear for i am dying i have given up the delusion that to-morrow will find me better i shall never be better until i wake in heaven shall never go back to annie never see my old home again it is a humble home mr mather but you can't begin to guess how dear it is to me because it is the spot where i brought annie after she was mine how well i remember that first night of housekeeping how proud i felt knowing it was my home my table my wife sitting opposite that her own darling hands had made the tea and cut the bread she passed me and that i had earned it too 
the poor have many joys to which the rich are strangers and i have sometimes thought we love each other more because there is little else to divide our love true it is that mortal man never loved a creature better than i have loved my annie she was of gentler blood than i was far more delicately reared and i know it was an unequal match she was far above me in social position highly educated and accomplished too she was a belle and favourite everywhere while i was only george graham a mechanic and engineer she kept nothing from me and she told me of a childish fancy when she was a mere girl of fourteen but if she ever sent a regret after the handsome black-eyed boy the object of that fancy it was not perceptible to me still i think that may have had its influence that and the fact that her life was very wretched with her proud hard aunt on whom she was dependent and who wanted her to marry a white-haired millionaire but annie chose me and i have worshipped her with an idolatry which i know was sinful in the sight of heaven who will have the first place in our hearts i have told you all this because your wife has been a friend to annie and i want her to know that annie is her equal if she did marry a poor mechanic i am not blaming any one i know the distinctions there are in social life i should feel just so too perhaps if i was rich and i had been educated as you were even as it is i always was proud to think my wife was a lady born and i hoped one day to raise her to the position she ought to fill but that dream is over now it matters little what becomes of the body after the soul has left it though i should rather lie in rockland graveyard where annie can sometimes come to see me and i do so want to hear her voice once more before i go to tell her with my own lips that if in heaven i find a place she has led me there suppose we send for her mr mather said the glad thought flashing upon his mind of the joy it would be to see his own darling once more for if annie came rose he knew was sure to come also i'll send for both annie and rose at once they can come together mr graham made no objection and mr mather set himself to the task of writing the letter which he hoped was to bring not only annie but his own precious rose don't say a word about my arm i'd rather tell her myself she won't mind it so much when she sees how sick and weak i am george suggested and so mr mather bade rose keep the amputation to herself as heretofore you will defray mrs graham's expenses he wrote and come as soon as possible for her husband is nearer death than you imagine twelve getting ready oh i've such perfectly splendid news this morning we are going to washington right away you and i for will says so in his letter you see george is a great deal george can't well george isn't very well and quite delighted with the happy turn she had given her words rose skipped around annie's cottage like a bird lighting at last upon a stool at annie's feet and asking if she were not glad why how white you are she exclaimed as she observed the paleness of annie's cheek what makes you don't you want to go annie was not deceived by rose's abrupt turn she knew that george was worse else he had never sent for her and hence the sudden faintness which rose's gay badinage could not shake off at once did your husband write or mine she asked and rose replied will of course george has never written you know yes i know and in annie's voice there was a tone approaching nearer to bitterness than any that rose had ever heard from her where is the letter let me read it for myself but rose had found it convenient to leave the letter at home and so she answered i did not bring it with me 
i can tell you all there is in it but will you and annie grasped her shoulder firmly will you tell me all tell me what it is about my husband and why he never writes is george dying and is that the reason why he sends for me tell me mrs mather for i will not be put off longer there was a look in the blue eyes before which rose fairly quailed and turning her face away she answered truthfully yes george is very sick he will never come home again and he wants you there when he dies softly the quivering lips repeated when he dies poor annie wondering if it could be george who was meant had the evil she most dreaded come upon her at last must she give her husband up and live without him how dark how cheerless the future looked stretching before her through many years it might be was there no hope no help it was annie's darkest hour of trial and for a moment the spirit fainted refusing to bear the load which though more than half expected had come so sudden at the last but annie was not one to murmur long and rose mather never forgot the sweet submissive smile which played over her white face as she said whether george lives or dies god will do all things well after this there was no more repining no more bitterness of tone nothing save humble submission to whatever might be in store for her rose was very enthusiastic on the subject of the washington trip and annie listened eagerly to her suggestions it is absurd for two young ladies like us to travel alone rose said we must have some nice elderly woman to matronize the party i mean to write to mother to send up one from boston miss marthers interrupted the widow sims who sat by the window knitting for some soldier boy miss marthers don't be a simpleton a sendin down to boston for somebody to maritonize you and miss graham when you can find forty of em nearer home let me go eli and john are there you know and tain't such a great ways to richmond where my poor isaac is did i tell you i got a letter last night from a strange woman up in new hampshire whose boy was in the battle the rascals let your brother write to her because there was something between her charlie and a rebel officer who was good to the child when he was dyin there's now and then a streak of good amongst em yes but what of tom rose asked eagerly forgetting washington in her anxiety to hear from her brother of whom not one word had been known after his name had appeared in the paper as one of the prisoners at richmond together with that of a boy called isaac simpson the more humane of captain carleton's captors had repeated what the dying officer said of tom's kindness to him and for this tom had at last found opportunity for sending a note to charlie's mother telling her how her darling died and asking her to write for him to his mother his sister and the widow sims this the grateful woman had done but rose had not received her letter yet and she listened eagerly while the widow read the very words which tom had written concerning himself and isaac there was but little said of suffering or privation tom it would seem was tolerably well cared for but he told of days and nights when his heart went out in earnest longings for the loved ones at home and then he spoke of isaac saying tell his mother that he does not bear prison confinement well and she would hardly know her boy he is very popular among his fellow-prisoners and does more good i verily believe than half our army chaplains one poor fellow who died the other day blessed isaac sims as the means of leading him to heaven oh i'm so glad he's there ain't you and the tears shone in rose's eyes as she involuntarily paid this tribute to christianity on some accounts i am and then again i ain't was the widow's reply as she wiped the moisture from her glasses and returned them to her pocket 
i'm glad he's doing good but i don't want him sick there alone without his mother it's hard to see why these things are so but that's nothing to do with the going to washington will you take me mrs marthers i know i'm homespun and ignorant but you may call me waitin maid or anything you like if you'll only take me the widow's voice was full of entreaty and rose could not resist it it would be grander she thought to have a woman from boston but then mrs sims wanted to go so badly while annie too preferred her she was sure so it was settled that as soon as the necessary arrangements could be made mrs sims annie and rose were to start for the federal capital had the care of an entire regiment devolved upon rose she could not have been busier or have felt a greater responsibility than she did in planning and arranging the journey and between times trying to initiate widow sims into the mysteries of travelling telling her not to be frightened and think they'd run off the track each time the whistle blew not to show undue anxiety about her baggage as she rose should hold the checks little brass pieces which they would get at the depot not to bother the conductor by asking questions or let the people know that she had never been further in the cars than rochester to all these directions the widow gravely promised compliance saying in an aside to annie it does me good to see the little critter patronize me as if she s'posed i was a tarnal fool and didn't know a steam locofoco from a canal boat the day before the one appointed for the commencement of the journey came at last rose's three trunks of the size which makes the porters swear were packed to their utmost capacity for rose meant to make a winter's campaign and display her numerous dresses at parties and levies so everything which she could possibly and impossibly need even to her skating dress was stowed away in the huge boxes together with various luxuries for her husband and george and then as the afternoon was drawing to a close she started for the cottage in the hollow to see that everything there was in readiness it had not taken the widow long to pack up her three dresses and her small old-fashioned hair trunk locked and tied round with a bit of rope was standing near the door ready for the morrow's early train on annie's face there was a hopeful expectant expression which told how glad she was at the prospect of meeting her husband so soon two days more and i shall see him she thought picturing to herself the meeting and fancying what she would do what she would say and how carefully she would nurse him when once she was there with him it was a bright picture she drew of that meeting with her husband of the kisses the caresses she would lavish upon him and she was almost as impatient as rose herself to have the november day come to an end knowing that with the darkness she was nearer to the asked for to-morrow just as the sun was setting rose took her leave saying as she bade annie good-bye i mean to drive round by the depot and get the tickets to-night so as to save time in the morning annie smiled at the little lady's restlessness and after kissing her good-night stood by the window watching her as she drove down the street and thinking to herself when i see her again it will be to-morrow rapidly rose mather's iron greys bore her to the depot where but a few idlers were lounging as it was past the hour for the cars the window between the lady's sitting-room and the office was closed and rose knocked against it in vain the ticket agent had gone to his tea and with a feeling of dissatisfaction rose was turning away when a sharp clicking sound from an adjoining apartment reached her ear and stepping to the open door she stood looking in while the telegraphic operator received a communication what was it that made him start so and utter an exclamation of surprise was it bad news the wires had brought to him had there been another battle was washington in danger rose wished she knew and she was about to inquire when the operator turned upon her and asked if she knew mrs graham wife of the lieutenant 
yes yes has anything happened to him she answered grasping the now written message which the agent handed her saying break it to her as gently as possible he was the finest fellow in all the company and the kind-hearted man not yet accustomed to the horrors entailed by the war wiped a tear away as he muttered to himself poor george there was no need for rose to open the envelope for she knew well enough what it contained but her fingers mechanically tore it apart and with streaming eyes she read the fatal message which would break poor annie's heart oh i cannot tell her she cried sinking down upon the hard settee and sobbing bitterly how can i take this to her when i left her so happy half an hour ago but it must be done and summoning all her courage she bade jake drive back to the hollow shivering as she saw the cheerful light shining from the window and shrinking more and more from the task imposed upon her when as she drew nearer she saw annie's bright joyous face as she put together the garments for to-morrow pausing occasionally to speak to widow sims who sat before the blazing fire dreaming visions of what might be could she but get a pass to richmond don't you hear wheels the widow asked as the carriage stopped before the gate annie thought she did and going to the window she saw rose as she came up the walk why it's mrs mather she cried what can have brought her back to-night and hastening to the door she led rose in asking why she was there oh annie rose replied winding her arms around annie's neck i wish i did not have to tell but i must and i know it will kill you dead i'm sure it would me and i don't see why you should be served so either we shall not go to-morrow for will is going to bring him home don't you know now can't you guess and rose thrust the dispatch into the hands of the bewildered annie who clutched it eagerly and bending to the lamplight read what rose had read before her it came to her like a thunderbolt striking all the deeper because it found her so full of eager expectation and the november wind as it swept past the door and down the lonely hollow took with it one wailing cry of anguish and then all was still within the cottage save the sobbing whispers of widow sims and rose bending over the unconscious form which lay upon the bed so white and still that a terrible fear entered the hearts of both lest the stricken annie too were dead End of chapters eleven and twelve